You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello, and welcome to the 1958th edition of St. Edmundsbury News Talk for the 7th of December 2023. The editor of this edition is Liz Roberts, the producer is Pat Needham, and your readers are Sue Cunningham-Snell and Harvey Johnson. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Police leader to visit town as shoplifters strike again. Call for action on most dangerous road in town. Seeds of change at farm as project starts to germinate. Town named the second most dog-friendly place in the UK. A Bury St Edmunds businesswoman whose store has lost nearly £2,000 of items to shoplifters has spoken of its devastating impact after they were targeted again as Suffolk's police leader is set to visit the town over the issue. Denny Brothers Supplies on Kings Road Corner was hit by a shoplifter on Friday who filled a bag with about four to five hundred pounds worth of art sets in front of a staff member and ran off when confronted. In the last six months, nearly £2,000 worth of stock has been stolen from the art supply store, which his managing director, Joy Denny, said was a hell of a lot of money for a small business. It's quite devastating on a personal level, as a family and shop owners, but also to our staff, who really care about the business, she said. Meanwhile, Mark Cordell, chief executive of Berries and Edmunds Business Improvement District, is set to meet with Suffolk's Police and Crime Commissioner in Bury next week to find common ground on rental crime. I beg your pardon, on retail crime. Mr Cordell wrote to Tim Passmore after he became concerned that there was an increase in thefts from town shops which were not being reported by their owners. The former police officer of more than 30 years feels that due to this the true picture of the issue in the town was not being shown with his members unhappy with what they call long-winded processes to report the crimes. He said, I've recently met with a local police inspector and he has reiterated the importance of reporting all retail crime as policing resources are always being reviewed and allocated on the basis of what crimes are being committed. Bid members had found reporting such crimes difficult and not user-friendly with a 101 system of filing out online forms, he said. I hope we can find some common ground in a two-way conversation on all of this, so that both business owners and the police can communicate better and find more proactive solutions to reduce the opportunities for retail crime here, said Mr Cordell. Miss Denny said their shop had always been lucky in terms of how little crime it had faced, but there had been more problems this year than staff could remember in recent times. She believed more people were turning to crime due to the cost of living crisis and stealing items which previously were of less interest to shoplifters. They had been putting fewer items on the shelves but had just restocked for Christmas to boost sales when the shoplifter struck. It's horrible to experience and watch it and feel frustration that there isn't anything we can really do about it, Miss Denny said. Financially, it can be crippling. When you're buying products from suppliers, you're reliant on having money from the sales. She also raised issues with the police response as the crime was reported within minutes of it happening, but rather than a police officer being sent out, a follow-up call was made with Miss Denny the next day. She said she thought the culprit, who was on foot, could have still been in the town and found with the goods returned if an officer had been dispatched. She was also asked for a CCTV clip that could identify the shoplifter and show him putting the items into the bag. But Miss Denny knows they won't have the camera angle required. 
too much emphasis was being placed on the CCTV element when police could respond quickly and apprehend the culprit, she said. A Suffolk police spokesman said they contacted Miss Denny to ask her to send in any CCTV images that she had which could help with the investigation. We would urge any victims of crime to contact us, he added. Campaigners are calling for urgent action to reduce speeding on what they have dubbed the most dangerous road in town. The group want measures introduced on Nalton Road in Bury St Edmunds, where they say speeding is putting lives at risk. Ian Bowers, a resident in the area, said, We have a serious issue with speeding drivers and ineffective speed reduction incentives along Nalton Road and past the park, the path of which is used by many families and small children. To make matters worse, the road is used as a rat run at peak times and the problem will only get worse as development on Sicklesmere Road progresses. I have a four-year-old son and walk from Plover's Way to the Hardwick Primary School along Nalton Road twice daily. There is a pathway on one side only. My friends make the same nerve-jangling journey with three children, often with a pushchair and bicycles. There are many other young and vulnerable users of the path, and the journey is dangerous, scary and stressful. Scarier still is the lack of speed reduction incentives along this stretch. One more sign, arguably the most dangerous 30 mile per hour zone within town boundaries. Residents have been campaigning for measures for two years, including writing to all 167 houses on Nalton Road asking for support for a 20-mile-per-hour limit. Some 40% of residents replied and were in support. A meeting was held in Nowton Village Hall in the summer of 2022, after which it was decided to lobby for speed cameras. A neighbourhood speed watch team was also set up to collect traffic speed data. Suffolk County Councillor Richard Rout commissioned two traffic surveys this year that showed around 100 cars per day travelling over 35 miles per hour between Berry Park Drive and Stewart Drive. Councillor Rout was shared the data with police but said the large majority of drivers <coughs> excuse me, stayed within the law. He has, however, called for speed enforcement measures for the minority. Bury St Edmunds Town Councillor, meanwhile, has ordered a speed indicator device, which will be used on the road, along with other roads based on advice. Two others are also rotated on roads around town. A spokesman, <coughs> oh, sorry, excuse me. A spokesman for Suffolk County Council said. Further to the data gathered from surveys, we are now working with the County Councillor and Town Council to agree locations for two speed indicator devices to help tackle the issue of speeding in the area. The community turned out in force last Saturday to hear about a budding regenerative farm project taking seed in Great Barton. Villagers Mike and Lizzie Long are at the start of the Jubilee Farm Initiative, which they envision will be different to many other farms, with a focus on new and yet ancient farming methods and education. Mike said, We envision having an open farm culture and bringing community onto the farm and involving them in the process. We will be a community-supported agriculture, that is CSA, farm, and will be using local people to sell food locally, cutting out the need for supermarkets and long supply chains. We believe the food system as we know it is broken, and change must happen. On Saturday the community was invited to a pre-farm walk, starting at Vicarage Farm Lane. The event saw the couple discuss their plans for the 16-acre farm, talk about how the community could get involved, and heard from university lecturer and lifetime farmer William Hudson, who shared his regenerative farming expertise. Mike described Saturday's walk as an incredible morning, 
with around 50 adults and 20 children and young people joining in. There was a real buzz. It seems the community are going to be behind what we are doing here, he said. In October, the farm's 11-acre field was sold with a herbal-rich cover crop to build fertility into the soil and provide food for grazing animals. The majority of vegetable crops will be grown from January, with the priority being to supply vegetable boxes through a CSA scheme, allowing consumers to buy shares in the farm's crops and then receive a share of the vegetables grown on the farm each week for 26 weeks. Mike said, We believe everyone should be able to access healthy and nutrient-dense food. The farm will also be growing fruit and is in the running a big pan and is running a £25 sponsor a tree scheme to support the purchase of fruit trees. Bury St Edmunds has been recognised as one of the most dog-friendly towns in the country after winning silver at an award ceremony. The town was named runner-up in the most dog-friendly town-city category at the Dog-Friendly Awards 2023. The ceremony in London on Wednesday, November the 29th. The town was beaten by the top spot by Jervan in Scotland, which won gold with Eastbourne taking bronze. The awards, which are run by the Dog Friendly magazine, are in their 11th year, recognise businesses that go the extra mile to accommodate four-legged friends and the winner of each category is chosen by public vote. Bury St Edmunds has its own dog-friendly scheme, which was launched five years ago, after a collaboration with the Town Council, Camp Tells Doggy Daycare, our Bury St Edmunds Business Improvement Direct, and Bury St Edmunds and Beyond. It seems the dog-friendly base poor print logo sticker displayed in the windows of more than a hundred businesses that welcome canine companions. Mark Cordell, Chief Executive of our Bury St Edmunds bid, that is the Business Improvement District, said, We are absolutely delighted to have been shortlisted for this prestigious national award, which is in recognition of the great progress of the town has made in being a recognised dog-friendly destination since we launched the scheme with the Town Council five years ago. We are grateful for the support we have received from over a hundred bid businesses who now warmly welcome dogs and their owners into their premises. I believe that being a dog-friendly destination encourages more dog owners to come into our town centre, stay longer and visit more businesses than they would if they had to leave their dog at home. I would like to recognise the work of John Kay from Camp Tales for his contribution to making the scheme such a success. The award ceremony was held at the Kennel Club's headquarters in London. West Suffolk Council has been hit by scammers losing more than £50,000 in the process. During its Performance and Audit Scrutiny Committee meeting on November the 23rd, it was revealed that, for the first time, West Suffolk Council had been a victim of mandate fraud, amounting to a total of just under £52,000. This was a complex scam, where fraudsters hacked into suppliers' emails and sent genuine emails to customers, including the council, asking for a payment. Councillor Diane Hind, Cabinet Member for Resources, said, Although we did catch the fraud and stopped further funds going out. Unfortunately, this was after payment had been made. We've been in contact with the company whose security was breached, and the email supplier as well as strengthening and reinforcing our own practices. This is a prevalent crime that is very hard to solve and prosecute, and we would want to see much more focus nationally on this. However, during the meeting, it was also revealed the missing £52,000 could be equivalent to a 0.5% increase in council tax for the next financial year. Opposition leader Councillor Nick Clark said, It sticks in everyone's throat a little bit when half a percent of that raise will be to cover up this fraud event. Yes, 
These fraudsters are very clever, but this is a considerable sum of money. Nevertheless, Councillor Clark also acknowledged this could happen to the best well-run organisations. This comes at a time when preparations for next year's budget are well underway, with more information expected on how measures such as the cancellation of the Western Way project will play out when balancing the books. Although the scam or the Leisure Centre's cancellation will not be directly behind any proposed increase in council tax, they will reflect on how the council manages to present a balanced budget. But council leader Cliff Waterman assured residents the new administration would ensure the impacts of the scam, the project cancellation and all the other savings councillors were having to find would have the least impact on services and council tax possible. Two reindeer who went missing after escaping from a Christmas grotto event have been found at a country estate. The Elden estate in Suffolk said Blue and Blitzen had got spooked and jumped the fence on Sunday afternoon. External company Majestic Reindeer had brought them to the estate when they bolted and wandered onto the A11. Elden's courtyard general manager, Denise Sharp, said... They were happy, and the company had got them back for Christmas. Police were called to reports of two reindeer on the A11 near Mildren Hall at 14.20 GMT. Officers closed the road in both directions to ensure the safety of road users, only reopening them after 1700, when the reindeer had moved away. But it took until Monday lunchtime for the Elden Estate a Majestic Reindeer to track down the antelid absconders. Blue and Blitzen were at a Christmas event at Elden Estate when they decided to make a dash for it. Miss Sharp said they were finally found on the Elden Estate, one of the biggest farms in the UK, owned by Lord Ivor of the Guinness family. They went for quite a run, she said. We located them last night, but couldn't get close enough to bring them in. And then it began to dark. She said the owner came back on Monday with another reindeer in tow and eventually managed to get Blue and Blitzen to safety. It has never happened before. Majestic reindeer have a lower fence at their paddock than we do here, she added. The owner of Majestic Reindeer said she was... Just so happy to get the reindeer home. (laughs) A specialist builder has been brought in at a Suffolk town centre Greggs, which was previously named the fanciest in the UK, to undertake repair scheme for the building. Emerson Marshall Critchley, who owns Emerson Critchley Limited, which specialises in restoring period properties, is set to begin work at the Bury St Edmunds Abbeygate Street Greggs store. Mr Marshall Critchley, who has worked in construction full-time since he was 14, said the Grade 2 star listed building had experienced water ingress from the ground, which had caused damage. If you leave it another year, it is going to be a lot worse and the work will cost a whole lot more, he said. The task now is to work out what we can repair and what will be a replacement. As you see the shop front at the moment, that is how it will be, but it will all be stripped back and repaired. Mr Marshall Critchley said Greggs have not held back on anything in the process, which has to be carried out in a special way due to its Grade 2 star listing. They want it to look how it should, and they want to do what's best for the building and what's best for the general public, he said. I need to do something that will future-proof the longevity, but make sure that I am not deterring away from the characteristics of the building. He will now work to pinpoint sections of the building that need replacing or repairing and draw up a plan. He said of the project, I was born and bred in Bury St Edmunds and my passion has always been for historic buildings and restoring and preserving them. So I am glad to be able to do this. A mother says her young son with special needs is being failed by Suffolk County Council as he is missing out on school. Stephanie Draves from Brandon is concerned that Tyler French, 
five, who should have started his reception year in September, does not yet have a specialist school place and is currently being homeschooled. As well as losing out on his education, Stephanie is worried that Tyler is not socialising with other children and says this is all having a negative impact on his behaviour. Tyler has a range of diagnoses including autism and delay development. Stephanie said Tyler's education, health and care plan, a legal document which outlines special educational needs and or disabilities support he must receive, says he must be in a specialist setting. However, despite applications to six specialist schools in Suffolk and Norfolk, they all turned him down, claimed Stephanie. Stephanie had hoped Tyler could have gone to a special school in Bury St Edmunds, but she says it was all full capacity, and he ended up with a place for his academic year at a mainstream school. However, the youngster didn't even make it through his first induction day before she says his place was withdrawn, as the school said his needs were too great for them. Stephanie said it was now a waiting game to see if a specialist place becomes available. She said her family was among those that had been failed by Suffolk County Council, the local education authority, over a lack of suitable education for their children. Stephanie said, It's been absolutely terrible and very stressful. I just don't know where else to turn. She said he made so much progress at Brandon Preschool Playgroup. Stephanie said since Barry Free Press had got involved, Suffolk County Council had been in contact about home tutoring for Tyler. But she added, he needs to have an actual place at school. Council Rachel Hood, Cabinet Member for Education, SEND and Skills at Suffolk County Council, said they recognise it could be unsettling for families if there was a delay in finding a suitable school place. She added, for those children and young people with additional needs who are unable to attend school whilst waiting for a placement, family services ensure that they are supported with alternative education. A long-established and popular Christmas lights display has been cancelled following a wrangle with the Housing Association over permission. Barrowman Rod Oman has lit up poplar close at his own expense and in aid of charity for at least a decade, with visitors travelling from even outside the county to enjoy the illuminations. However, Rod said he was told by Habery Housing Partnership, of which he is a tenant, in the run-up to Christmas last year, to remove a large part of display on the communal green space in the cul-de-sac and along a fence line to great upset from the community. Rod, who is on benefits and has health problems, said this broke my heart. And to avoid disappointment this Christmas, he has been seeking official permission from Havebury for his 2023 lights display since last winter. After Rod contacted Havebury numerous times over what he is allowed in terms of the display, it has been confirmed that he cannot place the decorations on Havebury communal land over health and safety concerns, which a resident described as a big blow. However, Havebury has said they can be placed on and around his home. But Rod, who organises the event with his husband, Ben, said he had not been left with enough time to put on even a reduced display as he normally launches in early December and also feels there are just too many restrictions. He said, I'm very angry and very disappointed. It's had a huge effect on my health. Havebury have killed Christmas, not just for us, but for everybody. I didn't want to put lights up to be told, you've got to take them down. This year's event would have raised money for the British Heart Foundation, a cause his display has supported before, and means a great deal to Rod after he lost his father Derek to heart failure. A spokeswoman for Havebury said, Whilst we understand Mr Omer's frustrations, our number one priority is ensuring residents and the wider community are safe. Our team has spoken to Mr Oman 
and agreed where these decorations can be placed safely, on and around his home. We are supportive of Mr Oman's commitment to the charity he raises money for. She said decorations in the communal areas could create potential health and safety risks, and Havebury therefore doesn't allow those in any communal areas it owns. Havebury apologised to Rod for any confusion surrounding its permissions process. Riders from eco-carriers Bury St Edmunds will be rolling out a same-day delivery service in partnership with local businesses aimed at reducing short-journey car use in town. The shop-and-drop scheme is currently in trial stages and almost a dozen business partners involved. Shopping orders must be placed by 2pm. Delivery of goods is guaranteed by 6pm to eligible addresses. For as little as £2, couriers will run items to addresses in Bury and surrounding villages. The initiative has been officially endorsed by our Bury St Edmunds West Suffolk Council and Suffolk County Council. Libby Ranzetta, director of Echo Carriers Bury St Edmunds, said, we started our initial delivery service for local businesses last year and Shop and Drop has been a natural extension to that. The response has been fantastic with a number of different businesses getting involved from big brand names like Marks and Spencers to Independence. Thanks to West Suffolk Council, we are also able to have a stall on the Saturday market where shoppers can bring their purchases as they pursue the stalls or shops and will deliver that afternoon. Mark Cordell, Chief Executive of our Bury St Edmunds said, I am very pleased to see so many of our bid member businesses offering delivery in this way and hope that more and more shoppers will make use of it. Anything that can make reduce the number of shorter journeys by car will help our environment and in many cases the delivery charge will be less than the cost of parking alone. Councillor Alexander Nicole, Suffolk County Council's Deputy Cabinet Member for Transport Strategies said of the initiative, Now shoppers who would before to walk, cycle or catch a bus into town but don't want to struggle home again with heavy shopping bags, have the perfect sustainable solution. And now I do have a contact for this service, and that could be interest to any or one of our listeners. So I'm going to give you the contact details now and again at the end of the recording. So the for more information on this service, you need to contact Tiny Ural, that's T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com forward slash Y-K-N-6-X-6-P-R. And we will repeat that again at the end. So if you need to find a pen and pencil before that time, then please do so. Vegetable growers across Suffolk are bracing themselves for a busy festive harvest. While most of the country enjoys a midwinter respite from work, farmers growing a host of vegetables for the Christmas and New Year markets will still be hard at work. They'll be working up to Christmas and in the period up to New Year to ensure that supermarket shelves remain full and other food retailers are well stocked. Their biggest headache has been drenched fields after a succession of rainstorms following Storm Babette. This has made it tough going for machinery, which can get stuck and delayed a lot of activity. The wet conditions can also cause a host of disease problems, including mildew and other fungal diseases. Nick Scantleberry, farm boss at the Elvedon Estate, will be hard at work on his huge 500-acre carrot fields over Christmas. The farm lifts around 800 to 1,000 tonnes of carrots a week for supermarkets, supplying about 17,000 tonnes into the marketplace. In addition, the estate has already lifted and harvested its potato and onion crops, which are now in store. These are heading to supermarkets on a supply and demand basis. 
Orders for onions are particularly high at the moment, said Nick. The back end of his potato harvest was very challenging, with tractors and trailers battling to get over the fields, even though many at Elvedon are fairly free draining. In the end, the potato harvest wasn't in until November the 10th, three weeks after Storm Babette in mid-October. However, both crop quality and yield are looking average to good, despite a difficult and unpredictable growing season, he said. The carrots were planted in hot and dry conditions in June, so when the rains arrived in July, they were welcome. However, a cold snap now could put a spanner in the works. We started lifting carrots mid-October, and we won't finish until mid-March, he said. There will be no respite over Christmas, with carrot lifting continuing straight after the break from December 27th to 29th. British farmers would be working extremely hard to ensure that householders could enjoy UK veg at Christmas, he said. For consumers to have it on the shelf, someone has to be working in the background, he said. There's no rest for the wicked. A photography studio in West Suffolk has been forced to close its doors at the end of the year due to rising costs. John Martin opened Guildhall Studio in Bury St Edmunds more than three years ago as a place to showcase his own photography work, as well as a space to highlight local artists. It's been a really good three years, said Mr Martin, but over the last six months costs have been increasing, so I can't keep the studio open. The general reaction from the public has been, Oh gosh, that's sad, said Mr Martin. There are other art studios in Bury, but we are only the, fo the photo gallery. Mr Martin will continue to work on and sell his own photography after the studio closes. If we get the opportunity to do pop-ups, then that is what we'll do. Guildhall Studio will close on Sunday, December the 31st. A Rendlesham mum, who loves to write stories inspired by her nearest and dearest, has fulfilled a lifelong dream and published a book just in time for Christmas. The East Anglian Daily Times first met Angela Snape in 2021 when she was sharing the news that she had spent lockdown writing a book for children, Duncan's Christmas Presents, inspired by a childhood memory of her husband's, Duncan Snape. He was looking out of the window and he saw somebody dressed as Santa riding a bike past his house, said Mrs Snape. He said to his mum, Oh no, Santa's going back to the North Pole without any presents. Set at Christmas, the character of Duncan is taken shopping by his mum to buy Christmas presents for his family so that Father Christmas will come and collect them on Christmas Eve. With the help of his trusty companion, Snapper the Goldfish, Duncan prepares for the big day, hoping against hope that Father Christmas will arrive in time. Mrs Snape printed a few copies of her book, which was illustrated by her daughter's friend, Abby Burroughs-Stewart, which she gave to family and friends in exchange for a charitable donation. In total, she was able to raise £101 for the Suffolk Coronavirus Community Fund and is grateful to everyone who contributed to this amount, including two anonymous donors. However, looking to take her story to the next level, she researched ways to publish a novel and found a hybrid publishing contract, paying some of the costs herself. You've got to take a leap of faith, Mrs Snape said. I took a risk and so far it's gone well. She said the novel has been published in the six to eight age category, but believes this Christmas story can be enjoyed by children of any age. Proceeds will go towards a second book Mrs Snape is working on. This one inspired by her rescue dog Marley. Duncan's Christmas presents will be published on December the 8th. A well-used play and recreation area in Bury St Edmunds is set to undergo significant works in the new year after showing signs of wear and tear. West Suffolk Council said the Flying Fortress Park on the Morton Hall estate of Lady Miriam Way would be upgraded as a council spokesman admitted the natural play space known locally as Sand Park 
and had equipment showing signs of wear and tear. The site is due for significant work, said the spokesperson. Our contractor will work on the play equipment and features, and once that is done, the landscapes team will step in to upgrade the soft landscaping and maintain it to an improved standard. Following a report of rampant weeds, the council spokesperson said it was taking measures to make sure the area can be enjoyed between now and when work begins. County Councillor Peter Thompson welcomed investment to bring the play area, which opened in 2016, back up to standard. Last time I went up there, it was in a terrible state, he said. There used to be a spiral maze area, which you couldn't see for stinging nettles. This problem of maintenance could have been addressed by giving more thought of the planning stage of the park to ongoing maintenance, and what it would be like for the children using it, instead of the emphasis being on what it looked like. It is disappointing it needs such a big overhaul so soon. It shouldn't have got to this point. A nurse at West Suffolk Hospital recently attended Buckingham Palace for a reception hosted by King Charles III, honouring the work of NHS staff from overseas. John Songkip, originally from the Philippines, attended the event on November the 14th, alongside around 400 other nurses and midwives. They had been invited to the palace in recognition of their contributions to UK health services. The nurses joined the King on the occasion of his 75th birthday. Mr Songkip attended the event wearing traditional Filipino costume and was delighted to find other nurses came in their own national attire. Upon meeting the king, he told him, Greetings from the Philippines and Bury St Edmunds, and happy, happy birthday. A Brendan Church Hall has had its alcohol licence approved after criticisms about it were cleared up. The licence was approved at West Suffolk Council's Licensing and Regularity Subcommittee and will be used by St Peter's Church to create a small bar. The Reverend Dennis Coburn, church assistant priest, said the bar would be used early in the day for wakes and funeral parties to gather, as well as for ha. Before the council meeting on November the 22nd, there had been two object letters, objectional letters sent by Councillor Jules Savage and Councillor Philip Whittam. The letters raised concerns about potentially encouraging drunk driving, encouragement of drinking alcohol on church premises, making a profit from its sale, poor parking, access and noise. However, after the meeting, Councillor Savage said she had never been against the licence and all the information came from Councillor Whittam. She explained, Some of the content was not my words. I have never, ever had a problem with it. Councillor Savage added she had written an initial letter heavily influenced by Councillor Whittam, which she claimed was then modified by the latter before being sent in. However, also after the meeting, Councillor Whittam said he had only minimally altered the letter to make it run coherently. He said he had taken the issues to Councillor Savage after 19 residents went to him reiterating their concerns, having not been able to contact Councillor Savage, but that she had a mind of her own when drafting the first letter. The licence was agreed under the conditions, including ensuring pub safety and noise management. A festive fundraiser is set to return this Christmas to help children and families in need. <coughs> Ormiston families will host their second Jingle Bell Jog in Bury St Edmunds in December. The event is returning to Suffolk Business Park on December the 20th, with members of the public and local businesses invited to wear their favourite festive outfits as they take on a two-kilometre fun run beginning at Skyliner Sports Centre. Matthew Pirry, philanthropy officer at Ormiston Families, said, Last year's Jingle Bell Jog was a great success. 
with dozens of joggers spreading Christmas cheer around Berries and Edmonds as they helped us raise money for our vital support services. We want this year's event to be bigger and better, meaning a more festive route and perhaps even a visit from Mr Claus as joggers enjoy a hot drink at the finish line. This promises to be a great event for runners of all ages and abilities and the money raised from ticket sales will help us to continue supporting children and families who need us, even at Christmas time. Joggers will receive a commemorative medal for taking part, as well as free food and hot drinks served by Rapid Relief Team UK after crossing the finish line. Chloe Ludkin, in charge of community and charity partnerships at the event, sponsored treats, said, We are delighted to be sponsoring the Jingle Bell Jog for the second year running, raising awareness and vital funds for the services of Ormiston families. The event promises to be lots of fun, and we hope the success of last year's event encourages more businesses on the Suffolk Business Park and surrounding area to join us in the Jingle Bell Jog. The jog will begin at 12.30pm outside Skyliner Sports Centre with participants' full ticket price going to Ormiston families. The first letter um, I have is from John Cunningham and he is from Hadley and he heads his letter, Staying Young at Heart. I was very interested to read Christine Webber's article about staying as young as possible of the in the EADT November the 22nd. Recently, with 20 relatives and friends, I had the pleasure of enjoying an evening meal and all staying the night at a lovely place in the Midlands to celebrate my 90th birthday. Christine Weber mentioned lowering blood pressure starting with DASH, that is dietary approach to stop hibernation, hypertension, sorry. I was advised not long ago to drink decaffeinated coffee and tea as my blood pressure was a little <coughs> high. My weight was always been fine, as I do not overeat, I have never smoked, and I drink alcohol very sparingly, and never have gambled. As for exercise, I walk at least four miles a day and keep exceptionally busy cutting grass, repointing and rebuilding with lime mortar brick and stone walls in the town in which I reside and generally helping lovely friends and neighbours and charities where work is required to improve their building walls and gardens. It is important not to over-exercise, but certainly my lifestyle is, I think, such a pleasure, not only to me but others. I'm having a very happy and friendly and healthy life, which I'm able to share with so many friends and relatives, and was so pleased to read the article by Christine Weber. What a wonderful man. Indeed. Our next letter is uh, from Roger Spiller of Ixworth. It's actually an extract from a longer letter published in the Berry Free Press. Headed, Role Problems Stem from Lack of Strategic Plan. Camille Berryman's article in Berry Free Press of November 24th concerning traffic levels in Great Barton on the A143 illustrated a problem whose solution we have long known but been denied. Keith Olchin proposed a solution far too sensible to be accepted at this time. Suffolk County Council is responsible for the road, but makes few improvements unless forced to do so, e.g. by the application of air quality management area by DEFRA. That is why the pedestrian crossing was moved from the canyon, where buildings on one side and a wall with dense trees on the other prevented toxic traffic fumes and particles being blown away. Suffolk relies heavily on developers to fund road improvements. Developers are often both narrow-minded and short-sighted. They will only pay for improvements in the immediate vicinity of the development. So bigger and more expensive decisions, such as a bypass for Great Barton or a green bridge at Ixworth, have to wait. But there are now no areas of land appropriate for development in Great Barton, large enough to pay for the long-promised bypass, unless Suffolk County Council knows something we do not. Most of the parish councils along the route have been made aware of the problem via planning applications, 
they are now working much better together to tackle these larger scale problems. Parishes are by definition parochial, but traffic and general environmental issues do not stop at the parish boundary. There are few signs of traffic reduction in rural areas. It is difficult, but increasing frequency and the first and last times of our bus services and alternative forms of public transport would be a start, along with more and better footpaths and cycleways, including safer road crossings. So for the immediate future, we need action. The West Suffolk Plan will be out for its final consultation in the new year. Do make sure you take the opportunity to comment on it. It does look a bit daunting to start with, but persevere. We are the public, and we are invited to have our say, so please do so. And my next letter is from Faye Shepherd from Bury St Edmunds, and she writes, We hear so many complaints about problems incurred during various infrastructure works carried out in Bury. So, I'm pleased to be able to congratulate Cadent for the way they have carried out gasworks in Berry Park Road and Victory Close. Cadent and their main contractors, Forefront and Ferns, have carried out works to replace the gas pipes, both in the street and into our houses. They had to deal with various problems with other infrastructures and being closes, this meant that there were lots of access problems, but the team, led by Luke, made it as easy as they could for the residents. The team was very polite and explained what they were doing and went out of their way to work around residents' concerns. They would stay late at night to make sure houses were reconnected and cleaned up after themselves. So, thank you, Luke and team. Uh, the next letter is from Steve Norris. He is Community Outreach Team Leader for REACH Community Projects. Money makes the world go round, goes a famous song. It's a lack of money that's making a lot of heads spin in our town. If we live below a certain level of income or capital, then we have to be mentally able and prepared to fight for what we get, like soldiers in somebody's banded army, unaware of each other's existence. If we can bear it, then we have to fill out lengthy online forms describing painful details about ourselves. If we manage to submit these without technical error, not as easy as you might think, then we face up to two hours waiting on the phone to speak to a call centre. Most of the operatives are perfectly pleasant and professional, but it's hard to hear tales of misery constantly without being affected oneself, and sometimes it shows. Once we've applied and learned of the delay in receiving help, if we need to apply for another benefit, then we go around the merry-go-round again. If an award fails to be approved, there's all the stress and added delay that a fight for appeal brings. Some benefits have a reputation for being turned down initially, only to be upheld when wiser pairs of eyes scrutinise the case. The fact of having to fight for every little scrap in a system that brandishes the moniker of universal and insists that even those who are digitally poor must access services online or on the telephone rather than in person breeds unkindness in society. I've had to fight to survive, why shouldn't you? The lack of human contact is dehumanising and unkindness breeds unkindness. And yet the people of the town that funding forgot rally against this. They break into this vicious cycle of unkindness with their love and generosity. In terms of reaches work, kind-hearted people give money and food. Volunteers generously give their time. Businesses give reach their goods and services for free so that we can continue to make an impact. And those in need who receive kindness more often than not become donors themselves when their situation ameliorates. It is also true that kindness breeds kindness and makes for a better society, whatever the politicians decide to throw at us. There are wars out there that should concern us, but we must remember the war against poverty at home too. Please keep giving generously. 
Bob Hogar from Halesworth writes, Memories of Bombs in World War Two. It was with great pleasure that I attended the launch at Parham Air Museum of a book by John Bridges. John had appealed in the letter column of this newspaper for wartime memories of bombing raids on East Anglia, in particular the attacks by doodlebugs and rockets during 1944 and 1945. He had a very good response and has produced a marvellous book on the subject Doodlebugs and Rockets, Norfolk and Suffolk, 1944-1945. to I had the opportunity to contribute stories about bombing raids on Ipswich during my early childhood. It was an honour to meet John at the very well-attended event, and I wish him success with his book. And now we have some short items from Chatterbox. The news that the owner of Berryston Edmonds Photography Gallery has said he has made the difficult decision to close at the end of this year had people typing this week on social media. John Martin, who opened Guildhall Studio three years ago, said the rising cost of energy had made it difficult to remain open. The studio, which sells a range of John's photographs, as well as the work of other photographers and artists in the area, will now be an online business. Michelle Bailey said, So sorry to hear this. Small independent businesses should be better supported in the town. John Nugent said, Oh no, what a shame. This is a beautiful gallery and will be a loss to the town. I agree small independent businesses like this should be better supported. Ben Lord agreed, saying, Such a shame. West Suffolk Council really need to get a grip on how expensive rents and rates are in Bury, because the town will never thrive while small businesses like this can ill afford the running costs. Andrew Burt had his own views on how to support small businesses. He said, Business rates should be scrapped. It's been the main reason we haven't been able to expand and employ more people. The next size premises up comes with rates that are almost equivalent to another wage to pay for nothing. And finally, Peter Knight simply said, the town is turning to a food and coffee city centre. And my last letter is from Mark Sullivan from Ruffin. And he says, villagers do not support this plan. The Article entitled, Village Could See 13 New Houses Built, and that was in the Berry Free Press on November the 23rd, for me was very contentious. It portrayed our local parish councillor standing in a field endorsing a housing development which people in the village of Ruffham do not want, and the plans for which are ill-conceived. The current plans show no footpath joining the intended new development to the village, nor any additional lighting. Any Ruffram resident will tell you how vulnerable they feel walking along the stretch of road, where there is development is planned not only because of the lack of pavement or lighting, but also because of the speeding cars, lorries and agricultural vehicles which thunder along this narrow village lane. Section 12 of the National Planning Policy Framework says that planning decisions should ensure that developments function well and add to the overall quality of the area. This development is a money-making exercise which, in its current form, promises nothing but a significant risk to life in yet more noise and air pollution, not something to be endorsed, surely. And our final letter for this edition was from Gwen Pease of Ipswich. And she entitles it, Let Guests Have Their Say. Alan Titchmarsh is an esteemed gardener, author, presenter and DJ. His Love Your Weekend programme on Sunday's ITV is an eclectic mix of personalities in a cosy country setting. On Sunday 26th of November, he jokingly commented that his wife had told him off for interrupting people. The discerning Mrs Titchmarsh made a relevant observation. We are mindful of your considerable talent, Alan, but please pipe down and allow your guests 
to have their say. And now I have a feature, and this is written by the East Anglian Daily Times wildlife expert, John Boyle, and he tells us where our hibernating Suffolk wildlife will be hiding this winter. The alarm clock jolts you awake on a dark, frosty morning, and your initial instinct is to switch the alarm off, snuggle back down under your duvet, or go back to sleep. I'm sure we've all been there. However, to they stay asleep for six months would surely be excessive. That, however, is the survival strategy some of the Suffolk's animals employ in autumn, enabling them to cling to life until spring's warming tentacles can entice them out again. Of all the county's manual specimens, only bats, dormice and hedgehogs truly hibernate. But for these creatures, this torpor can last for up to six months. To make it through sub-zero temperatures, they must build up plenty of excess body weight over the plentiful summer months and then take refuge in a sheltered hibernation site or nest. They then enter a controlled state of sleep in which their body temperature is reduced and their breathing and heart rate are slowed down to conserve energy. Hedgehogs roll up in a ball to hibernate and often bury themselves within a nest of leaves, sometimes constructed within a woodpile or abandoned rabbit burrow. Many other mammals will seek a safe haven, such as a nest or den for the winter, spending much of the season asleep, but do not descend into full hibernation. Badgers, for example, will be underground within their set between November and February, living off their fat, reserves only emerging to forage on the mildest of nights. It is during this period that the females will give birth to their litters of up to five cups in an underground chamber lined with bedding material such as dried grass or bracken. Some of our mammals do not have the luxury of staying underground during the extreme weather and must venture out every day to find food or risk succumbing to starvation. Amongst these hardy Suffolk survivors are brown hares, which can be seen grazing in the open fields, even during snowfall, although they will tend to hunker down into a hollow in the ground, known as a form, during the worst weather conditions. Grey squirrels will have been busy boarding nuts, acorns and other supplies before winter, providing them with essential sustenance during the lean months. So critical are these catches that these intelligent rodents have developed clever strategies for collecting food and storing food. Some individuals have become bandits, watching where other squirrels bury their bounty and then plundering in the minute it's left under guarded. However, they do have a means of outmaneuvering freeloaders. Pretending to bury a tasty titbit in full view of the brigand, they wait for the would-be thief to start digging for the expected loot before actually hiding the food before the pilferer's back. Wood mice are one many small mammal species that will struggle to find sufficient food during a hard winter, although like squirrels, they will have stored supplies of seeds and berries underground or in old bird nests. Being above ground in freezing temperatures would be fatal for our cold-blooded reptiles, and so beginning in October, snakes and lizards move underground and enter a state similar to hibernation, known as brumation. They will not feed during this time, but many occasionally wait to drink. Toads will usually spend the winter buried underground on land, sometimes a good distance away from water. In contrast, Frogs are most likely to spend the cold months, either immersed in mud at the bottom of a pond, where they can absorb oxygen from the water through their skin, or buried somewhere moist on land, but with water still nearby. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmund's News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick, or find any difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. 
We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. And you remember that earlier in this recording, my colleague Sue said that we'd repeat an email address for the shop and drop scheme, which we felt might be of interest to you. So here goes. I have to spell it out for you. The email address is, uh, all lowercase letters of course as usual, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com forward slash Y-K-N-6-X-6-P-R. We hope that's helpful to you. Our news talk will be back again next week. So, until then, from Sue, Harvey, Pat and Liz, it's goodbye. Goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.